Welcome to History Interrupted. I'm Will Thomas. This is a special edition of our podcast. This short episode accompanies the publication of my new book, A Question of Freedom, The Families Who Challenged Slavery from the Nation's Founding to the Civil War, published by Yale University Press in November 2020. The book is about the enslaved families of Prince George's County, Maryland, who filed hundreds of lawsuits for their freedom against a powerful circle of slaveholders. They took several of their freedom suits all the way to the Supreme Court. These lawsuits spanned 70 years and five generations. From the American Revolution to the Civil War, these freedom cases challenged the legitimacy of slavery in American law and put slavery on trial eventually in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Piecing together evidence that was once dismissed in court and buried in the archives, the book tells an intricate and intensely human story of the enslaved families, the Butlers, the Queens, the Mahonies, the Shorters, the Thomases, the Ducats, and many others. It tells the story of their lawyers, among them a young Francis Scott Key, and it tells the story of the slaveholders who fought to defend slavery, beginning with the Jesuit priests in Prince George's County who held some of the largest plantations in the state, if not in the nation, and who founded a college at Georgetown, today Georgetown University. A Question of Freedom asks us to reckon also with the moral problem of slavery and its legacies in the present day. When we come back, why I wrote this book and why the freedom suits were so important. Welcome back. We're talking about my book, A Question of Freedom, The Families Who Challenged Slavery from the Nation's Founding to the Civil War, about the enslaved families of Prince George's County, Maryland, who filed hundreds of lawsuits for their freedom between the Revolution and the Civil War. I started on this journey about 10 years ago. I had stumbled upon a reference to a Supreme Court case called Queen v. Hepburn, and several things stood out to me immediately as curious. I, I knew little about freedom suits, and I was intrigued to see that Francis Scott Key was the attorney for the Queen family. And Gabriel Duval, an otherwise exceedingly reticent Supreme Court justice, issued a stinging dissent in the case from the majority opinion. And he also had testified for the Queens at the jury trial. I decided to look into this case, and I went to the National Archives in Washington, D.C., on Pennsylvania Avenue, and I pulled the original case files for the Queen v. Hepburn Supreme Court case and its, its earlier case in the D.C. Circuit Court. And to my surprise, 
there were hundreds of other freedom suit cases in the files at the National Archives, all of them filed in the D.C. Circuit Court. And I saw that the Queen family had filed numerous cases, not just one, but several. And as I turned page after page in the vaulted reading room at the National Archives on Pennsylvania Avenue, it slowly became clear to me that the freedom suits were much bigger than I had understood. There was much more to the story than I realized. And so I wanted to I wanted to figure out, how did all of these people end up in court in Queen v. Hepburn? What was the suit about? How could an enslaved woman bring a suit for her freedom in the first place? And what did it say about the legal and moral uh, battle over slavery in the early United States? Suddenly, Instead of slavery as a nameless, faceless institution, here were families, three and four generations, with names, first and last, and backgrounds and histories and connections, whose tenacity and whose bravery and whose courage in the face of slavery led them to bring freedom suits against every major slaveholder in Maryland. There was another issue in the back of my mind that day at National Archives, and it was this. I knew full well that Queen V. Hepburn was the foundational case for the hearsay rule in American law. Hearsay, quite simply, is secondhand testimony. Like on TV shows, Law & Order and others, Perry Mason where a lawyer objects to something that's hearsay, something that's secondhand, that's not direct testimony. Queen v. Hepburn, the rule on hearsay, came at the expense of a family's freedom. Chief Justice John Marshall wrote the majority opinion, and in disallowing secondhand testimony he had effectively made it impossible for the queens and other families who traced their their ancestry to a free woman to prove their case. He pulled up their claims by the roots, as the dissenting justice in the in the case would uh, would state. But it was more than that. The Maryland courts had allowed hearsay testimony in freedom suits for decades. And the reasoning was that when a person's liberty was at stake and the only available evidence was hearsay, it should be allowed into court. But Queen v. Hepburn ended the use of hearsay in Maryland courts and in other courts. And I wanted to track down the hearsay testimony in these cases. Was the oral testimony passed down inaccurate? Or was it really more accurate than the documentary record? In the Queen case, their ancestor, Mary Queen, had told a white man on the eastern shore that she was 
taken from New Spain, what is today present-day Ecuador, and taken to London in the reign of Queen Anne, that's the early 18th century, by Captain Woods Rogers. Now, Rogers' voyage was one of the most famous in British history. Everyone knew that Captain Woods Rogers had brought Alexander Selkirk back to England. Selkirk was the, the basis for Daniel Defoe's novel, Robinson Crusoe. Mary Queen's testimony was specific, clear, and passed down through the generations. The fact that it came into court secondhand, that is, the testimony of what this white man, Friedus Ryland, heard her tell him, was acceptable in Maryland courts up to that point. Most importantly, the words that she spoke to Friedus Ryland on the Eastern Shore were the only words from her ever recorded. And effectively what the Supreme Court did was rule that her words, the only words we have from her about her origins and her freedom, would never be heard in an American court. I wanted to know how that happened and what, what the effects of that decision really were. The enslaved families of Prince George's County used the law that the slaveholders made, and they used it, turned it, as a weapon in their freedom struggle. Charles Mahoney, who brought one of the longest freedom suits in American history, it took 12 years, three jury trials, two appeals before it was finally resolved. He's a figure of immense political importance for Maryland and for the nation. It's easy to think that the lawyers involved in these cases were leading them somehow, were, were the main figures in these cases, shaping them, that they were in charge. They weren't. The enslaved families were. I missed this at first when I was writing this book. Eventually, reading deposition after deposition in Mahoney's case, I realized that I'd missed something. I went back and looked closely at, a de at the depositions, and I found that Charles Mahoney was present in the room when the depositions were taken. His voice may have been silenced in the historical record. We have no direct statements from him. We have no testimony from him. But his presence was not silenced, and it speaks volumes about who was leading these cases. It was Charles Mahoney who guided the 12-year legal battle, who found the witnesses, who traveled personally to D.C. to talk with white men and women who might have known his ancestor. More than any other Marylander of his generation, he questioned the legitimacy of slavery based on the ideals of revolutionary equality and liberty. Declared free in court 
1799, then in effect re-enslaved when the court overruled that decision in 1802. He eventually negotiated for his freedom. And ten years later, he had saved enough to buy his own daughter and free her from slavery. His was a 25-year effort to free his family, and most of them gained their freedom. He had not only freed his family, but also challenged the very core, the very nature, the very legality of slavery in an American court. Early in the research, I found scattered evidence that my ancestors from Prince George's County, Maryland, the Ducats, were connected to the families who sued for freedom. One was a judge in the Prince George's County Court, and he presided on the day when 24 members of the Queen family had sued for their freedom and won their freedom in that courtroom. Another, his son, was a lawyer for the Jesuits. In fact, he got his start as a lawyer defending the Jesuits against the freedom suits by the Queens and the Mahonies and other families. And as the full extent of their involvement became apparent, I realized that I would need to confront the meaning of this history in a different, more personal, more direct way. I had set out to understand the contradiction of slavery and freedom in American history, only to find that some of my ancestors were at the heart of that contradiction. This book is also part memoir, an account of my investigation into the parallel file of my own family and its involvement in slavery and in the freedom suits. I meet and talk with the descendants of the families who sued for freedom, including the descendants of those enslaved by my ancestors. This book is for anyone interested in the American Revolution, the founding generation, and how we reckon with the problem of slavery in American history. You can order the book on Yale University Press's website or from your local bookseller. Thank you for listening, and I welcome your thoughts and comments in the days and weeks and months to come. This is History Interrupted. I'm Will Thomas. Thank you.